So we are in the week two of a sermon series that's called Streaming Salvation. And so we reached out to you all via Facebook and a couple of other um, media outlets asking you uh, a question about songs, secular songs, that you all like or know uh, that either ask a question or make a statement about God or faith. Uh, We had a long list, and so we went and we kind of combed through them and uh, we came up with four that we thought would preach. And so um, today we're looking at a song that is called Jesus and Bocephus. It's it's by Kid Rock. Um, And I had never heard this song till one of you lifted it up. And um, I like it, I really like it. It's really, it's an interesting song. Um, But let me just first remind you who Bocephus is. So, um, Bocephus is Hank Williams, Jr. It was a nickname given to him by his father, Hank Williams, Sr., when he was a little boy. And the name Bocephus actually is a ventriloquist's puppet that was popular in the Grand Ole Opry in the 40s. So, that's who Bocephus is. It was a puppet. Dad gave it to Jr., and so that's the name that he goes by a lot of times Uh, by his friends and family is Bocephus. So, uh, Kid Rock's talking about Jesus and Bocephus, so just let me just prepare you. Um, He says the word Jim Beam in there, so just be, be prepared. Sometimes I've had too much to drink Get all stoned to play some Hank I guess that's just the way I am And I love the man from Galilee Because he died for you and me I met them both in Dixieland Cause I got Jesus and Bozzi They both help me to live my life I went from Jim Beam to my Bible Jesus and Bocephus right there by my side Interesting song, isn't it? I'd never heard it before, but I've I've listened to it a lot, sort of in preparation for this, and it's kind of, kind of grown on me, actually. So. But as I was listening to this song, it struck me that, that Kid Rock here is making two claims with this song. The first one is, is an implicit claim that, that salvation in Jesus is enough, that just believing in Christ is enough to achieve eternal life. That's sort of the implicit claim that he's making through some words that are a little further on in the song. Uh, And then he's making an explicit claim that that the music of Hank Williams Jr. helps him in his walk with Jesus. So I, I thought as I was preparing for this, about how we might approach this, I thought it might be helpful uh, for us to use the Wesley quadrilateral to sort of look at these things. So let me just give you a little background on the Wesley quadrilateral. 
Um, they are scripture, tradition, reason, and experience. And here comes the slide. So um, now let me just tell you, John Wesley never said this. You will not find in any of Wesley's sermons that this is how I do theology. This was uh, put together uh, by a theologian named Albert Outler, who was at Perkins School of Theology long before I got there. And um, he said, this is how John Wesley is doing his theology. Now, I have to tell you, there's really nothing new to this. Um, the, the church, the Anglican church in particular, um, really espoused scripture, tradition, and reason. That's been around since the earliest days of the church fathers, scripture, tradition, and reason. Experience is what John Wesley added to it. It's what Albert Outler put there, put it together. But later in his life, he became a little frustrated by this particular diagram um, because they're not equal. It's not four equal boxes. Tradition, reason, and experience are not equal to Scripture. John Wesley is very clear. Scripture is primary. All of these other things help inform how we understand Scripture. So let's just be clear. Even though it's four little boxes, they're not all equal. So... Um, we're going to take a look at, at this. Let's first look at the implicit claim that he's making, that faith in Jesus is enough. All I have to do is believe in Jesus, and I have eternal life. So we're going to look at the Gospel of John for that. So we're going to go to John chapter 11, verses 25 through 26. And this is where Lazarus is, is about to be resurrected. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? So the scripture tells us right here that, that believing in Jesus basically equals eternal life. I mean, that's, that's what the Scripture says, that, that believing in Jesus equal eternal life. So, I mean, you can read it. I'm sure you can read English. It's pretty clear that that's belief in Jesus gets you there. So, the, the next one would be tradition. What does tradition say about this idea that, that salvation in Jesus comes through just faith? Tradition would say, uh-uh, you got to go church. I mean, the, the earliest Catholic church is saying, if you don't go to church, it's a sin. So there, there is this idea, there is this tradition that attending church is important for your salvation. But we also have this tradition of deathbed conversions, right? That, that's a long-time tradition, that if you profess faith in Jesus with your dying breath, you're saved. You have eternal life. So, so I would argue that while tradition might be a little conflicted here, that, that yes, yes, it, it, it's adequate. 
So let's look at reason. Well, we've read the text. We know what the text says. We know what tradition says. That yeah, there's, there's deathbed conversions. So yeah, I, I think that claim holds up. And, and, and then there's experience. I know people who may even be better disciples than me that don't go to church. Maybe they were hurt by the church as a young person or as an older person. And they tell me, I believe that Jesus Christ died that I might live. And I pray to him every day and I read the Bible every day, but I don't go to church. Some of them say, well, the sunrise over the bay, that's my church. That's where I was last week, by the way. <laughs> so, yeah, my, my experience says yes. Just, just believing in Jesus, it's enough. It's enough. I, I would argue it's suboptimal, and we'll talk some more about that in a minute. I don't think it's really how our faith is designed to be lived out. But, but yes, this claim that Jesus in Bocephus can be enough. So, yeah, I think that implicit claim holds up. So, what about his explicit claim? That somehow the music of Hank Williams Jr. helps him in his walk with faith. I have to say heck yeah to that. I mean, I don't know about you, but, but I've had this experience where music of, of all types, both Christian and secular, have helped me in my walk. They help set a tone in my life. I put on, um, you know, some Motown if I want to be happy and dance around while I'm cleaning the kitchen. You can't pay money to see that. But um, music affects our lives. And, and I don't know about you, but I have certain songs that come up, and I can almost smell the smells when I heard that song when I was 18 or 25, or my child sang it. They elicit memories for us. I mean, there, there's one song that, that came out by Stephen Curtis Chapman called Diving In. It came out just as the time I was going into the ministry. And that's sort of, frankly, become sort of my theme song of my ministry. So, yeah. Yeah, music plays a vital role, I think, in our faith. I mean, the, the earliest hymns were theology put to bar tunes. So yeah, music has a, has a place for us in our walk of faith, even Hank Williams Jr., for you, right? So and I failed to mention, I'm going to look at this one backwards. We're going to look at experience, and then we're going to look at uh, reason, then tradition, or tradition, then reason, and then we'll look at Scripture. So yes, that, that to me, using experience, this claim holds up. 
So let's look at um, tradition. Yeah, tradition, this idea that, that other people can be a part of it, music can be a part of my faith. Yes, it holds up, as I mentioned. Um, the earliest hymns were set to bar tunes so that people could remember them. So yes, it plays a, a big part. And so reason, does this jibe with our overall view of Scripture? Does it jive with a particular Scripture text, which we will look at here in just a minute? So yeah, does it hold up? It does. So let's talk about Scripture. So the Scripture that I'm going to use to talk about this explicit point that Kid Rock is trying to make in this comes from the book of Philemon. So have anybody read the book of Philemon? Excellent. Well, for the rest of you, we'll wait. It's 485 words. That's it. Took me two minutes and 10 seconds to read it. And I was trying to read it slow and comprehended I wasn't speed reading. It's a fascinating letter. It is actually personal correspondence from Paul to this man Philemon, who was at a church that Paul had helped found. And frankly, it's really like reading somebody's mail. And so let me just give you the background for this. So it, it's not entirely clear. Scholars have a variety of, of understandings of it, but it basically it goes like this. There was uh, a slave named Onesimus who belonged to Philemon, and he ran away. Somehow, he came in contact with Paul, who, by the way, is writing this letter from prison. So he comes in contact with his slave Onesimus, and so he sends and this is where scholars debate whether Onesimus was actually there or not. But the theory is that he sends this letter back to Philemon with Onesimus. So Onesimus hands this letter from Paul to Philemon. And, and so there's only one chapter. So you don't even have to say we're reading from chapter 1. We just say we're reading from verses 1 through 9. So we're reading from verses 1 through 9 in the book of Philemon. And by the way, this is a first for me. I have never preached in 20-something years from the book of Philemon. But I like it. So here, this is verses 1 through 9. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and co-worker, to Aphia, our sister, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. When I remember you in my prayers, I always thank my God because I hear of your love for all the saints and your faith toward the Lord Jesus. I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective when you perceive all the good that we may do for Christ. I have indeed received much joy and encouragement from your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, my brother. For this reason, though, I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do your duty. 
Yet, I would rather appeal to you on the basis of love. And I, Paul, do this as an old man, and now also as a prisoner of Christ Jesus. So, so Paul is writing this from prison, and it's interesting that he doesn't list himself as an apostle in this personal letter to his friend Philemon, but, but rather he claims to be a prisoner of Christ, which is sort of an interesting turn of phrase. I mean, as, as followers of Jesus, there is a way in which we are, in fact, a prisoner of our faith. We're a prisoner of Christ in that we are to be about His work and about His business. But he's, he's really appealing to Philemon at sort of a, a personal level, a man-to-man level, not from his authority as an apostle. And, of course, we, we read in that last verse, he says, I do have this authority, but, but I'm not going to use it. I'm going to appeal to you out of love. And what he's asking him to do is to welcome Onesimus back into his home, not punish him, and treat him as a brother in Christ, because Onesimus has come to faith in Christ. And so Paul is asking him to do this, not because I command it, because it's for love's sake that you should do this. And so really the whole meat of this, though, this, the, the whole meat of this for us are verses um, 4, 5, and 6. 1 through 3 is all the greeting, right? When I remember you in my prayers, I always thank my God because I hear of your love for all the saints and your faith toward the Lord Jesus. I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective when you perceive all the good that we may do for Christ. I have indeed received much joy and encouragement from your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, my brother. Well, if anybody ever wrote me a letter that said the hearts of the saints have been refreshed because of you, my brother, I'd be doing like the happy dance. That's awesome. I mean, I aspire to that. But, but what I get from, from those three verses that Paul is writing to his friend Philemon, who, by the way, he also greets um, uh, Aphia and Agrippus, which we don't really know who they are, but there's somebody that are there. These are people who are walking in faith together. And I love that. that that's how our faith is best practiced. Together walking together. I mean, we read in this, praying. I pray for you and give thanks to God for you, because I know what you're doing. I hear the stories. We give encouragement to others. Our, our faith is best lived out together. Yeah, Jesus and Bocephus are enough, but that's not all there is. If that's where we stop with, I have faith in Jesus, yay, I've got the golden ticket, we're missing the point. The point of it is we learn and grow from others. The Old Testament, I've forgotten where it is, talks about iron sharpens iron. Steel sharpens steel, right? When we worship together, 
when we are together in small groups and we study Scripture together. That's exactly iron sharpening iron. Our, our faith is best practiced together. Your staff meets every day, every Tuesday at 10 o'clock. And the first thing on our agenda is just joys and concerns amongst our staff. How's your mama? How's your daddy? Those sorts of things. The second agenda item is God at work. Where have you seen God at work? It's my favorite part of the week, except maybe forgetting to stand up here and preach. And you know what? A lot of times... God at work is y'all. Some of you individually, some of you as a group. Sometimes it's the whole body of Christ that's AUMC. You see, we're better together. We're better when we make time to pray for each other, when we show concern and love for one another and encourage one another. Our church has many, many opportunities for you to be a part of a small group, a Sunday school class, a Bible study. Susie's going to be out in the, in the commons area, and there's all kinds of opportunities. I want to encourage you to take the next step and to find a small group. If you can't find a small group that you like, start one. Doesn't matter. And just so you know, I'm not encouraging you to do something I myself am not doing. I have a group of two different groups of pastors that I meet with. One, one is local pastors here from, from this area. We get together once a month, and we, we talk about well, you all. <laughs> and our victories and our frustrations. And we talk to each other. Well, have you tried this? Have you thought about this? We, we encourage one another. We pray for one another. You see, our faith, it's better together. And I want to challenge you to find a way to share your faith with others, to let iron sharpen iron, to be able to ask your questions, to use your reason, to use your brain. We Methodists, we love for you to ask questions. We want you to use your brain. Hey, does this make sense? And you can bounce it off of other people that you trust. makes us better, makes us more faithful, because we are together to encourage one another, to pray for one another, and to help one another move deeper in faith. So take the next step with that. You'll be amazed what happens to you if you do. Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you that together we are the body of Christ.
We ask that you would help us to help each other. Help us to grow. Help us to grow in faith. Help us to grow in service to our community. Help us to be more faithful followers of you. Thank you for the many ways that you touch our lives. Open our eyes that we may see God at work around us, in us and through us. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.